I don't have a character yet. Let's get ready to podcast! Hello, and welcome to Chronically Podcast. We are officially starting our second book. Woohoo! And that is going to be The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the first book of the Chronicles of Narnia series. My name is Kristen, also known as a dead blue bottle, and this is my co-host... Uh, Ivy, but I don't really factor into the story that much. Also known as... Chris. And we are going to be starting the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe today. We are going to begin by discussing the first chapter in the book. And the title of this chapter, Chris, can you give us that? Yes, the title of this chapter is Lucy Looks Into a Wardrobe. Which I feel is just, that's my five sentence summary right there. (laughs) Lucy Looks Into a Wardrobe. It's not five sentences. Yeah, that's, that's all I needed, though. I mean, she will cover this. So she does do more than look into the wardrobe, so I feel like that's a little bit more. You know. Yeah, but they didn't want to completely spoil <laughs> yeah. everything. True. Like, if, if they said Lucy looks into a wardrobe and finds snow, then <laughs> it just wouldn't even be any point to well, reading the chapter. Then we get into chapter two, which is what Lucy found there. Yes. So, I mean... Yes, yes, that that will be the next chapter. Uh, anyway, Kristen, are you excited? This is the first real book in the series. Um, I am excited. This is the one that everybody like actually likes and has read and is familiar with. And yeah, I mean, this is the one that people tend to to be familiar with mostly. Like, if you talk about Narnia, people always reference going through a wardrobe. Yes. Or if people, you know, see a wardrobe, they're like, "Is Narnia in there?" Like that kind of thing. This is this is the the part of Narnia that's in the zeitgeist. Yeah. I mean, when we talk about how to get to Narnia, people get there with rings and pictures and hedges and wardrobes and Aslan's call across the worlds. So really, this is the only of seven books that people use a wardrobe to get to Narnia, and yet it is the one that everyone associates with Narnia equals going through a wardrobe. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this is the most uh, well-known, I would argue, of the books. Kristen, when's the last time you saw a wardrobe? When was the last time I saw a wardrobe? Yeah. Um, Technically, my parents have one at their house. I have photos of myself climbing out of it as if I'm coming out of Narnia. Whoa. Um, Yes, there's, it's, it's, I think it's currently in the living room. It's not functioning as a wardrobe, but it is a wardrobe. Hashtag Christian childhood things. I mean, it's not just like the movie of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe came out, mm-hmm. and there are many people, and it was a it was a very well received film uh, across all realms of American culture, not just Christianity. Whoa! Uh, all right, so without further ado, why don't we get into it? Uh, I think for the most part, for now we're going to keep with the same format for our show because we haven't come up with any better ideas yet. Much uh, to my chagrin. You know what? We, plural, haven't come up with better ideas yet. Yeah, I know. I so, just asked you for ideas. Uh, how about you our... You said no. It's cool. Then we get into our first segment, which is the summary. And if you're familiar with last season, 
Uh, what we do is we go through the chapter and pick out five sentences that we think summarize the chapter and tell the story in a short, uh, easily digestible way. And Kristen, why don't you go ahead and do yours first? Uh, first of all, Happy New Year, y'all. Happy New Year. And <clears throat> my New Year's resolution is to read books in the correct order of their series. Cool. Um, so my five, my five-sentence summary here of uh, the first chapter of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is as follows. Once there were four children whose names were Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. But when the next morning came, there was a steady rain falling so thick that when you looked out of the window, you could see neither the mountains nor the woods nor even the stream in the garden. Nothing here, said Peter, and they all trooped out again, all except Lucy. And then she saw that there was a light ahead of her, not a few inches away where the back of the wardrobe ought to have been, but a long way off. And soon after that, a very strange person stepped out from among the trees into the light of the lamppost. Fun. Uh, we, we had very similar ideas. I mean, it's yeah. <laughs> there is no other way to summarize this, but yeah. go ahead. Let's, let's hear yours. Uh, so mine is as follows. Once there were four children whose names were Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. No! They were sent to the house of an old professor who lived in the heart of the country, ten miles from the nearest railroad station and two miles from the nearest post office. It was the sort of house that you never seemed to come to the end of, and it was full of unexpected places. Always. She took a step further in, then two or three steps, always expecting to feel woodwork against the tips of her fingers. And soon after that, a very strange person stepped out from among the trees into the light of the lamppost. So we have the same first sentence and the same last sentence. You don't talk about the wardrobe, though. You talk about the house, and it seems like she's... You've you've changed the article of her exploration from the wardrobe to the house. Uh, I mean... Because you're you're talking specifically about how the house you just never come to the end with, and she had walked expecting to run into woodwork. Yeah, I mean, I was alluding like, to the wardrobe in four. I thought it was, you know. No, you weren't. You gotta read between the lines. Or you just have to have read the book before. <sighs> Which I think most of our listeners have. Um, anyway, so that's my idea. Uh, my my summary, I guess, focused more around the uh, central theme of, like, exploration and being in a new place or new places. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, the the core of this chapter. Um, so let's, let's dive into it. Um, this one's... Uh, not a terribly exciting chapter as far as book things go. Like, yeah. not a lot really happens to talk about. No, yeah. there's not a lot of imagery to really dive into. But we'll we'll see what we can do. So. Yeah, I mean, this chapter gives us the setting of the book, uh-huh. which of course doesn't matter because they're going to leave this world entirely. So it doesn't <laughs> actually matter. Uh-huh. It introduces our uh, four primary characters. And it introduces four, five, five secondary characters. Um, the Professor, McCready, Ivy, Margaret, and the other one. Betty. Um, hmm? Betty. Betty. Uh-huh. And uh, also confirms for us that Diggory, our beloved mm, sort of main character of the previous book, uh, never married. Nope. And... You know, he just never found a woman more beautiful than uh, Jadis. He's yeah. just like, can't do it. And he and Polly never yeah. were more than friends. Never got to be a thing. Nope. 
And um, we also confirm that that large amount of money that great uncle What's his face? Kirk uh, had was it's still going strong. Yep. We've got a giant some, house. Some 50 years later. Uh-huh. Um, so, so tell us about the setting of this book, Chris. Um, so we're set in... Lewis started writing this in 1939. So assuming it's around there, current year, 1939, 1940, during the Blitz of London. Uh, and was, you know, as many listeners I'm sure know, inspired by real events. And, you know, there is a real Lucy, and she was his goddaughter who came to live with him in the countryside during the London Blitz. So, like, this is very much a, uh, you know, kind of a retelling of biographical information. Did his goddaughter come to live with him? Yeah. Is that what this... Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So this was like... You did some research. Yeah, I did some research. Since when do you actually do <laughs> research? You know what? It's a it's my New Year's resolution to do more research for these chapters. Um, so this, uh, based on real life events, like it's a very real world setting to start off with. It obviously doesn't stay that way for very long. Um, do we know how old the kids are here we know that lucy is the youngest we know that we and it we know that lucy is the youngest and that edmund mm. is the yeah. second youngest yeah um we know later in the book that peter's the oldest so that means that the order of the names given in the introduction is Our age ages. order <clears throat> uh peter susan edmund and lucy um they're they're old enough that Susan is trying to play mother to Edmund and Lucy. Yeah. And they're old enough that Edmund is sick of it. Yeah. Uh, so I'd say that they're in a very, like, early teen, preteen, Lucy might be 10 kind of age range. Uh-huh. I'd say, like, 16 to 10. Yeah, around there. Is what it feels like from their interactions. Uh, yeah, when... When Lewis started writing the book, the real Lucy was four. Uh-huh. So um, I'm assuming she's a bit older than that in the yeah. story. Uh, <clears throat> and finished up when she was 14. So she's somewhere in between uh, <laughs> the, those those key ages in a child's development. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> the childhood part of being a child. Yeah, you know, that one. Somewhere in there. Uh, so that's around the same age. Uh, I, I get the... I don't know, the vague impression that Lucy is probably around the same age as Diggory. Yeah. Uh, or Polly and the magician's nephew. She's, you know, probably a scrappy kid around that age. Um, so we go, we we meet, you know, Professor... The Professor. The Professor. Who hasn't who, been introduced as Professor Kirk yet. Yeah. We, we, but it is Professor It's Kirk. Professor Kirk. We meet him, doesn't say anything. He has no dialogue, doesn't really, isn't really a character in this chapter. He's just there, and he looks scary, and he's got a giant white beard. He and... looks scary to Lucy. <sighs> he looks hilarious to Edward. Uh-huh. Edmund. Edmund. <sighs> Confusing our names already. Um, but we meet him, say goodnight to him. He doesn't say goodnight back. Uh, <laughs> yep. And the, the kids start conspiring, because they, they show up at the house, and they're immediately just like, hey, we can probably get away with lots of stuff. It's a giant house, and he can't be everywhere, and, you know, apparently he has... It's it's more of like a no-one-cares-what-we-do-here kind of thing than it yeah. is like a we're-not-gonna-get-in-trouble kind of thing. Yeah. So this is like a <clears throat> adventure thing for them where, hey, we don't have to be in school, and we're not having any responsibilities, and we can go explore, and... Yeah, and we can, you know... This is time. Go look in the attic, or... 
those long hallways with all of the rooms that we can get into. Yep, you could find anything. We could get into other houses. <laughs> well, this one's not connected to any other houses. Uh, it's just like 17, you know, coalesced houses. Yeah. <laughs> um. So... I mean, what 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 do you want to get into here? What happens? I, nothing happens. <laughs> like this this chapter is to me. This chapter is representative of the birth of an idea. Like this is Narnia. This is the birth of Narnia. This is the first time that anyone has set foot in the snow in Narnia. Uh huh. This is every every reader's first introduction. This yeah. is the beginning of the the whole mythos of Narnia. Uh-huh. And it's very much like, you know, the intro of The Hobbit. Like, there once was a hobbit named Bilbo Baggins. Like, this is Lucy stepped into the wardrobe and snow crunched under her feet. Yeah. So this is, you know, this is the foundation that the rest of these books are built on is the view of walking into a wardrobe and finding a snow-covered forest and a fawn and a lamppost. Yeah. Um, this is um, very much just a foundation, but it's nothing else. Like, this sto- this chapter is more important for what it means, like, as an intro to the entire series than it is meaning anything in the story itself. It is just, you know... We, we introduce four characters. One of them wanders somewhere and ends up in Narnia. Like, mm-hmm. And I appreciate the lack of pre-exposition before someone ends up in Narnia. Yeah. It is just... Go through a wardrobe. Yeah. And you've got the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And we're going to meet all of those in reverse order in this book. We start with the wardrobe. Then we meet the witch. And then we meet the lion. Yeah. Um, uh, so, I mean... But yeah, this, this chapter doesn't mean... This chapter is just kind of there to me. Like, this is a hurdle to get through. Yeah. It's until just, uh, we actually, basically until Edmund eats the Turkish delight, we've got <laughs> nothing going on in this got book. nothing going on. Um, so that being said, since nothing really happens, I wanted to talk a little bit about, like, uh, the background and not necessarily the metafiction, but, you know, the the background of this book as a whole. Um, you said so, your book has a map in the cover? Yeah, there's a there's a map. My, Mine doesn't. We we now have two books, listeners. By the way, uh, Steve, so we can. A friend of the podcast and <laughs> and uh, guest of the last episode, Steve, um, purchased for us and gifted us with a set of the books. Yep. And so now we actually have two books and we can read them yep. s- at the same time. Mine doesn't have this map. <laughs> <laughs> Are you jealous? A little bit. I have a map. Where's Lantern Waste? Somewhere around there. Where's Lantern Waste? It's not on here. <laughs> I don't know. Carparavel is on here. Yeah. Um, so this is thrilling radio. Um, uh, so that being said, other facts and doing research about this book, because this this one I wanted to get more into like the, the bones of it and influences and literary references and things like that and actually be more of a researchy person. We might turn that into a full-on segment. Uh in the next couple episodes here. But in reading about this one, it took C.S. Lewis 10 years to write this book. Uh, 1939-1949. 
He this was you know this is a less than two hundred page children's book. It took him a decade, <laughs> and he completely scrapped it at one point. Uh, in forty seven, he had the first draft of the book done, completely threw it out because his friends didn't like it, and rewrote the whole thing. Interesting. <laughs> so it actually this book that we got only took him two years. To yeah, I mean this is this is <laughs> this is stuff that we can get into more when we do our wrap up episode of this book in several months, but. Uh, yeah, that, that was a thing. It took him a really long time. There was multiple versions, uh, for apparently the first few years he was writing it, Aslan did not exist as a character, hmm. and he was really struggling to put anything down until he came up with the idea of Aslan. Interesting. And then that became the focal point of the story. Uh, so what, it, I don't know, why, Lewis is, like, not a dumb dude like he's a he's a brilliant writer like he's written a lot of very good stuff why do you think he struggled so much doing this i think that this was something that was more difficult for him because it was far removed from what he had previously written like c.s lewis is known for writing many theological texts but he's also known for writing a few fiction pieces Mm -hmm. and those fiction pieces are deeply theological and allegorical yeah and a lot um, and and everything that he had written prior to this is fiction that's written aimed towards adults like the um the the space trilogy the out of the silent planet pearl andra and that hideous strength and those books are heavily allegorical like the main character's name is ransom uh-huh. like he he is basically like there as a ransom for you know whatever like it's it's very allegorical he wrote um the screw tape letters uh-huh. which is very much written as you know a, a fictional piece of theological challenge to pe- the Christian readers yeah. of like, here's what, you know, a demon is doing to try to trip you up. Uh-huh. So it like all of his, all of his fictional writing isn't so much story as it is allegory. Uh-huh. And so you had him writing a children's book, which you know, as Steve said, you know Aslan's Jesus, right? <laughs> like, we have this moment of allegory coming out that's just like, I feel like he probably started, and you said he started this book without Aslan being a figure in it. Yes. So him trying to build a story that wasn't an allegory. Yeah. Probably is why he struggled with it. Like, that's what I would say based on his other works that, I mean, he wrote The Pilgrim's Regress uh-huh. as opposed to The Pilgrim's Progress. Like, uh-huh. everything's very allegorical in what he's writing and it's very much put down to be lesson teaching and stuff from a theological perspective, which is probably why so many Christians are like, this book is okay magic versus <laughs> other magics that's not okay. Uh-huh. That can be our blurb in the back of a, you know, if they ever publish a special edition with our commentary. <laughs> That'll be our blurb on the back. This is okay magic. This book is okay magics. Uh, quote, Christians. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, let's, I mean, we can, we can get a little more into it. Um, do, do we think it says anything that the first person who goes to the wardrobe is the youngest? 
I mean, I think that that is a big part of these uh, books. Like as we as we continue to move on to them, like the first of the Pevensey children. I'm going to give you spoilers here for like two books from now. Uh-huh. But the first of the Pevensey children who basically refuses to return to Narnia, who basically says that Narnia isn't real and isn't that it was all made up and she doesn't want to go back uh-huh. is Susan. Yeah, who's the oldest girl because she is basically like gone you know and fallen in love with a boy and is now much more entwined in this world than she cares about the other uh-huh. and she's so, meeting the uh you know handsome wood gods over there to... I, I mean like i'm not gonna spoil anything <laughs> at all ever never ever again will i spoil anything um the um so there's very much this idea that like as the children get older they can't come back to Narnia. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's kind of establishing, one, like he is writing it for his goddaughter and her name is Lucy and this is Lucy that he's writing going into the wardrobe. Um, but also that it is very much kind of this whimsical magic that is something you can grow out of. And mm-hmm. like I said about... Diggory and the magician's nephew like we had at the end of that book kind of a restoration of his childhood uh-huh. and that was him not needing to come back to Narnia yeah um so is Narnia just an allegory for childhood I think in a way it is I think it I think Narnia is an allegory for the loss of childhood yeah and that or like the potential loss of childhood and the restoration of it because Diggory has this grief that he has to face and the magician's nephew. And when that grief is lifted, he doesn't need Narnia anymore. Uh-huh. We have these four children who have been pulled out of their home because of a war, because of danger. And they're off with some potentially random stranger uh-huh. in in 10 miles from nowhere uh-huh. in this giant house in order to keep them safe from the bombings in London. And like... They don't know if their parents are going to be alive when they come back. They don't know if they're going to be alive. Like, these are kids who are very much caught up in a, in a potential loss of childhood. And you have Susan trying to assume the role of mother. You have Edmund being snarky back. Mm-hmm. Um, once they get into Narnia, you have Edmund and or you have Peter and Susan very much trying to be parents to Lucy and trying to recover Edmund. And things like that. So you have all of these moments of like, especially the older two, um, not being children and trying to not be children. And um, when they come back from Narnia, like they get to be children again. Uh-huh. And they've they've conquered something. They become kings and queens in Narnia. Like yeah. there's so much that they've gone through there that, has in a way allowed them to come back with perspective on the situation that they're in and how they can still be children. Hmm. So I I don't know. I would say that Narnia is almost very much sitting in a place where it's like we're reclaiming childhood. Yeah. Maybe not restoring, but reclaiming. Interesting. So do you think that that has a tie-in to the time period where this was written, where, you know, this story Mm -hmm. began in the beginning of world war ii and like there's a lot of kids who didn't get to have a childhood because of you know the war and being evacuated and there's bombings and yeah Mm -hmm. i definitely i think 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that that's the case. I do think that there's a cultural scar even, you know, to this day for people who grew up in that time period. I mean, my um, my parents were born 10 years after the war was over. Their parents were in their mid-teens and early 20s when this war was happening. Like, uh-huh. my my one grandmother who's still alive was a, a late teen when this war was happening. Yeah. And I think that it very much is a very different world yeah. for, you know, anyone who grew up in this setting. Yeah. And I don't know. I I mean like I don't I don't personally know anyone that I could talk to now who who was a child in London during <laughs> the Blitz. Like yeah. I can't just like that doesn't mm-hmm. it, that doesn't cross my experience. So I can't speak to the nature of what it would be like or what it was like to be a child then. To see if Amanda has stories about her parents. But then we also have like, you know, you and I were both in junior high when the World Trade Center was attacked. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you have very much got like, um, and so that when I was, Edmund's age uh, influenced the next five years of my life and how I viewed many different things. And it was, you know, it, it shaped something in my brain about culture and society at large and what, you know, and I had to work through a lot of that stuff in order to figure out <laughs> what I actually think yeah. <laughs> as opposed to what I was trained to feel from a young age. Yeah, you, you had that very patriotic face. Yes, I did. That we went through. Um, <laughs> so is there anything, like we're, we're getting kind of off the mark here. Is there anything else we really want to dig into in this chapter? Um, I mean... I feel like th- there's more for us to say about the book as a whole <sighs> and what we're going into yeah. than this chapter specifically. Because... I mean, this chapter is so limited in its scope that you and I had the f- same first and last <laughs> sentence in our summary. Yeah. So, which we didn't even do for the first chapter of Magician's Nephew. Like, yeah. I, we could say a lot about that. Yeah. Like, which is interesting. So, I mean, the first chapter of that one might be better, despite the book overall being, like, <laughs> kind of terrible. Um, so, I mean, the only other interesting thing, I mean, we find the lamppost, which, were we going into this first? And I had not read The Magician's Nephew. Uh, I didn't know where the lamppost came from. Yeah. We don't talk about that. There's uh-huh. just a lamppost. Yeah. Um, Which I think is incredibly whimsical <laughs> and beautiful. Like It's French with a touch of whimsy. Yes. <laughs> um, it is. It's fun. Uh, yeah, we get there at night. It's snowing. And there's a lamppost. There's this very magical image of uh, we know this isn't just a normal woods. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we meet a, a critter. And a let's, fawn. T- let's talk about the critter. He's a fawn. <laughs> and I think that that, like, is just, he he wanders in with his snow-covered umbrella and his armload of pa- parcels. and Who uses an umbrella in the snow? Like, really? like the... I mean, if you grew in a, <laughs> if you were living in a place where it was always winter yeah. and never Christmas, and you ran around without a shirt on, just a scarf, <laughs> you would want to keep the snow off of your belly. Yeah. 
I just feel like that would get heavy. Oh, I mean, (laughs) I feel like any creature that has, like, that much hair on his body wants to keep it as dry as possible without wearing a hood. Yeah. So, that's a thing. Yeah. But yeah, that's, I mean, I'm... You have the introduction of the whimsical nature of Narnia. We've gone into a wardrobe, we've found snow, we found a lamppost, and a fawn who says, Oh, goodness gracious. Goodness gracious me, even. Oh, goodness gracious me. And he drops all his packages. Did he drop them in this chapter? Yes. Oh, yeah, he dropped all of his parcels. Yes. Okay. And he is startled. Yep. Um, So that's all I have to share about that. (laughs) Let's go into our rewrite. All right. So then let's go to our next segment already, where we are still doing maybe hashtag Narnia Trapped and Screwed until we come up with a better uh, title for it in this book. But what we do is we go through and pick out another five sentences uh, to completely switch around. We have the Narnia Fusion Buffet. (laughs) (laughs) That we switch switch around and uh, we tell a completely new story. Uh, So since you went first with your summary, I'll go ahead and do my rewrite. Uh, You struggled a lot with this one. I had an idea, and I struggled a lot to get the idea out, but, you know, here's what I got. Right. There was nothing Lucy liked so much as the smell and feel of fur. (laughs) Badgers, said Lucy. A moment later, she found she was standing in the middle of a wood at night time. A moment later, she found she was standing in the middle of a wood at night time, with snow under her feet and snowflakes falling through the air. What's that noise? said Lucy suddenly. You might find anything in a place like this. Okay. I like it. Um, I like your badgers and fur and you focused oh. on something else. Yeah. My, I don't know. The, the idea for that is uh, Lucy's like some sort of hunter. Yeah. And she's she's going out in the woods at night looking for badgers and finds something else. I see. It's kind of mystery. Well, uh, I have my, uh, I don't have a rewrite. I have a second summary of the uh, chapter. (laughs) Okay. All right. Here's my attempt at a rewrite. Then she noticed that there was something crunching under her feet. What's that noise? Said Lucy suddenly. Of course it would be raining, said Edmund. Lucy felt a little frightened, but she felt very inquisitive and excited as well. I wonder... Is that more mothballs? She thought, <laughs> stooping down to feel it with her hand. Okay. So you're going for more of a whimsical thing yourself? I, I was just trying <laughs> to make it a set. Like, I just tried to get five sentences in a row. Mm-hmm. I, I don't... <laughs> this one was dumb. Yeah. Uh, we might have a better I was going to try to make it about McCready, and I was just like, nah, like, she's mentioned in one sentence, like... Yeah. There's no, there's no dialogue in this chapter at all that isn't tagged with who said it. Yeah. Um, so there was very, it was very hard to try to work anything with dialogue to be anyone else or anything else. Yeah. Because it's all tagged as Lucy or Edmund or, you know, it's identified the speaker, Uh um, by name. So yeah, this one was a really hard one to do a rewrite on and you know, I'm, I'm half-hearted on this because I felt like the chapter was very much just a foundation to stand upon. And, 
you know, for me, this chapter was... When I read this book for the first time, I already knew about the lamppost because it was the kind of thing that, like, my dad would talk about. So I never got that, like, first reveal of the lamppost in Narnia as this, like, profound, huh, thing. Uh-huh. Because my dad had already explained to me that Lucy wandered into the lamp and the lamppost. And it was the lamppost that the witch had thrown in the other book and, like... I didn't get a first read on this that was, you know... Your dad spoils literature is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So it was good. It was a struggle, I admit. Like, my, you know, to to peer behind the curtain a little bit, my, the, the way that I do these rewrites is I always look through the chapter and I find one sentence which I think is interesting and could be easily taken out of context. And then I just try to find four other sentences to support that idea. What's yours? So, what's that noise? Said Lucy suddenly. No, the mine was. Uh, there was nothing she liked more than the the smell and feel of fur. Oh, okay. Which I, so I just find a weird sentence. Mine was that... Lucy felt a little <laughs> frightened, but she felt very inquisitive and excited as well. Yeah, I almost that was the one I was trying to build off of. Yeah, I almost used that one. Um, so that being said, let's you know it's a little early, but we can go into our final segment here. I stop talking about how short the episode <laughs> is. It's it is already longer than I want it to be. Okay. So I'm trying to cut these down to a max of 45 minutes. Or maybe our listeners want a longer, more luxurious listening experience. I don't (laughs) want a longer and more luxurious (laughs) editing experience. (laughs) Unless you're going to let me eat more candy. (laughs) If you're going to increase the candy budget for this, then we're good. Our candy budget is already quite high. Um, We don't have Turkish delights, though. We We could do that. We should make Turkish delights for one of these episodes. We could, we could just follow along with the binging badge, binging with Babish. We could. I, I kind of want to do that now. All right. Um, so let's go into our final segment here where we go through and review the chapter. I think that's kind of what this entire episode was because we had nothing else to talk about. So it's not going to be super long. Ooh. But um, So on a scale from one to five lampposts, Chris, how do you think this chapter like did? We've already done lampposts in nope. the previous book, yeah. have we not? Ah, we did young lampposts. Okay, more mature lampposts. Yeah, I mean, this is clearly a more mature lamppost. Dignified lamp. I was going to say fawns. Startled fawns. The fawns? fawns. (laughs) Um, sure. Uh, How about dropped parcels? Dropped, there we go. So, on a scale from one to five, dropped parcels. Paper Um, wrapped parcels dropped in the snow. I always had a problem with that. That they got wet. Yeah. I was like, why would you wrap things in paper and then drop them in the snow? And then, like, when they pick them up, they, they don't say anything about the paper being ruined or anything. They just brush the snow off, and it's fine. These are the things that Kristen is saying all about. That's how um, cold it is. <laughs> fluffy snow didn't wet the parcels. Fluffy snow. So, anyway, um, yeah, it was fine. It was an introductory chapter. We get right into the world. Uh, I mean, I wanted to talk a little bit uh, earlier in the episode about how how different this would be if it weren't a children's book mm, because yeah. i i feel like this is there, there's a kind of punchiness and quickness to the events of the chapter that can really only happen in children's literature 
I agree. Where like, where, like, if we were doing an adult book with the same concept, we'd be five chapters in before we went into the wardrobe because we'd have to talk about... Which C.S. Lewis did in the, in the, <laughs> and out of the Silent Planet in the Space Trilogy. Uh-huh. His character, Ransom, is, like, walking along a road at night, and the entire first chapter is just him walking down the road at night. Yeah. And then he finally comes to a gate. Uh-huh. And then the second chapter is all him going into the gate and going into this house and, and meeting people. And then the third chapter is him eating dinner with them and then passing out. And the fourth chapter is him waking up on a spaceship. Uh-huh. And the fifth chapter is him still on the spaceship. And the sixth chapter is him landing on Mars. Like, he, it, it takes six chapters before he ends up actually being in the other world. So, yes, I mean, it is exactly the same. Uh-huh. Only he's being kidnapped instead of actively wandering into. So many spoilers from when we do the space trilogy. Oh. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Just the sentence structures alone in that book. I don't want to reread it. Um, but yeah, there there's something to be said for uh, how quickly children's literature is allowed to tell story and to develop narrative. Yeah, um, the exposition is 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 given in such a different way uh-huh. which i find more appealing uh-huh but that's also because you're impatient i am impatient i also you know for me it's really hard to pay attention to a page long description of a room uh-huh like a page long description of how someone walked into a wardrobe and out into the snow on the other side is fine how did, because you, how did you ever read Tolkien? I barely. <laughs> do you want to know how I read Tolkien? I will tell you exactly how I read Tolkien. Uh-huh. My mom was taking uh, classes for her master's. Mm-hmm. She was getting her master's in divinity. I was 12 to 17 age range while she was doing these classes. Uh-huh. I would go with her to the college campus for her night classes. Mm-hmm. And I would sit on the stairwell halfway between floors with the book open and the audio book playing because I could not focus enough on the book to actually read it, but I could not actually like just listen to the audio book without getting completely distracted and missing minutes at a time. Uh So I had to sit there and read the pages and listen to the audiobook simultaneously uh-huh. in the stairwell of the King's College and Seminary in Van Nuys in the like between the third and fourth floors above the library while my mom took classes for her master's in divinity. Uh-huh. This is how I read those books. Yeah. All of them. I mean, you've also read I've never uh, I've never actually read The Hobbit right. because that's how my brain works. I cannot there's a certain level of just wordiness I can't get through. I mean, there's there, you've also read some of uh, A Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah, I've read not, the first book and a half. Okay, I was gonna I was gonna say that's another one where it's like not not even close. It's not even close to the same style as Tolkien. Yeah, but it's a, it's, it's written very much more. You no, know, but it's written for a modern audience <laughs> as opposed to Tolkien's books, were, which were written for his audience. Yeah. Uh, as a quick aside, uh, another thing I wanted to mention is that. Uh, and something we can continue to talk about because uh, in this throughout this book i want to kind of have a consistent lines of dialogue because there's consistent themes i want to keep going to kind of tie the episodes together more um one of them is tolkien who as many of you know was uh, great friends with c.s lewis uh famously hated this book really yeah tolkien did not like a lie in the witch in the wardrobe at all huh uh so as we go through it maybe we can talk about why okay and, you know, why we think that based on his, his writing style. Um, so anyway, 
Uh, fine first chapter. We do a lot. We develop a lot, but at the same time, not a lot happens. So let's let's go completely middle of the road and say you know three dropped parcels out of five. Three dot. That's not the middle of the road. The middle of middle. the road is two and a half. Well, okay, slightly this better than mi- slightly better than middle of the road. So you still give it a D, sixty <laughs> percent. Yeah, that's not how the five star system works. Let's. Okay, I'm just saying. <sighs> All right. So I don't know. I mean this. This chapter is, I mean, it's not as bad as Christmas shopping because it moves in a pace that's, like, effective. <laughs> like, it, it's it's paced well enough, and it is, it well introduces Susan and Edmund's relationship. Uh-huh. Uh, it introduces Edmund's character very well for what kind of brat he's going to be later. Uh-huh. Um... It introduces Lucy as someone who is more fearful than she should be as the character who first enters the wardrobe. Uh-huh. So I, I feel like it does a disservice to Lucy as a character. Uh-huh. And then Peter is just the idea man so far. Like, he's just like, let's go explore the woods. Well, the woods, it's raining. Well, let's go explore the house. Uh-huh. Um, and so with those things said... I feel like it does a halfway good job of introducing characters and relationships. It introduces two of the main characters well, and two of them it does it under kind it of. underrepresents their characters. Uh huh. Um, it introduces the whimsical nature of Narnia with the fawn and the snow and everything like that. So I feel like for a first chapter in a book, it does better than Middle of the Road to me. Like I'd I'd give this one at least three and a half dropped parcels. If I'm going to use your system for the first time. Don't cry. Please stop crying. Please. I didn't bring those tissues in here for you to use when you're crying. I got them for my nose. You love me. I do love you. <laughs> cool. That's the first and last time. <laughs> that I'm going to use your system. Okay. Okay. Uh, so yeah, if you have any thoughts on this or you want to bring up things that we should talk about as we go through this book, uh, feel free to get at us at Chronically Podcast on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, you can tweet at us at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us the old-fashioned way at, uh, chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. And until next week... See ya. Bye. Of the first book, wink, wink. I already did that. Thank you for putting it in again. Uh Uh-huh. Hello. Welcome to Paper Turning South. It's ambiance. They were sent to the house of an old professor who lived in the heart of the country, ten miles from the nearest one. Train... They were sent to the house of the old professor. What? What are you laughing at? Nothing. What? A joke I'm not going to make on the podcast. Okay. Don't cry. Please stop crying. Please. You love me. I do love you. (laughs) 